Jeremiah chapter 29 verse 1 to 14 These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother the Enochs the officials of Judah and Jerusalem the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem the letter was sent by the hand of Elasa the son of Shaphan and Gemariah the son of Hilkiah whom Zedekiah king of Judah sent to Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon it said thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the exiles from whom i have sent into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat their produce take wives and have sons and daughters take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters multiply that and do not decrease but seek the welfare of the city where i have sent you into exile and pray to the lord on its behalf for in it is in on its welfare you will find welfare your welfare for thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name i did not send them declares the lord for thus says the lord when 70 years are completed for babylon i will visit you and i will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for i know the plans i have for you declares the lord plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope then you will call upon me and come and pray to me i will hear you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart i will be found by you declares the lord and i will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where i have driven you declares the lord and i will bring you back to the place from which i sent you into exile thanks many seems like we're having some technical difficulties this morning so i don't know if there will be sermon slides or not but hopefully you can follow along even if there are no slides so last week we started a new series on loving our city and we talked about how god loves cities because cities are where people are and god loves people and this past thursday This is a different note but we're going to tie it back in. Have any of you followed SpaceX in the news recently? So this past Thursday, they had a a huge test launch of their Starship. Did anyone watch it? A couple of people? All right. So, it's the biggest most powerful rocket that's ever been launched into space. And they were doing a test launch with the goal that it would fly around the world and then land and they could learn from this experience. and they did this broadcast and they had a room full of SpaceX employees watching the broadcast these people have spent years developing this technology and putting this rocket together 
so that it can launch and eventually bring people to the moon, maybe Mars, who knows how far out into space this thing can go. And they did the countdown and everyone's cheering and the spaceship launches into the sky and everyone's cheering. And about four minutes after takeoff, the, the boosters were supposed to detach from the rocket and they didn't. And the ship just started tumbling through space and then it exploded. And you could hear the audio from this room full of employees who have spent months, maybe years, developing this technology. And do you know what sound was coming from that room? They were all cheering. One guy popped open a bottle of champagne in celebration. I, I see some weird looks going around. Like, why would they do that, right? Like, we all know rockets are not supposed to explode. Why would you cheer and celebrate when a rocket blows up on a test flight? And here's why. Because with SpaceX, their attitude as a company for stuff like this is success is whatever we can learn from. Success is whatever we can learn from. So we sent a rocket off the launch pad. We did some things really right, but then it blew up. So we still have some more that we need to learn. But seeing where it blew up and why it blew up tells us something about what we did wrong and how we can improve that for next time. And so even though our rocket blew up, that's success because we can learn from it and we can grow and we can do better next time. It's a different perspective than I think most of us take towards life. And as we go through this series on loving our city, I think some of the stuff we're going to talk about will probably be new. Some of the stuff we're going to talk about might be looking at things from a perspective we've never really considered before when it comes to what it looks like to live out our faith and how to love the people around us. And I want to encourage us as we go through this city to take a SpaceX approach to loving our city, to have this attitude that we're going to try things and they might fail and blow up in our face. But if that happens and we can learn from it and do better next time, that's success, right? If we wait until we know we have it perfect before we even try to love our city, we're never going to start because there's always things that can go wrong. But if we're willing to have this SpaceX attitude, I'm going to try it, it might blow up, it might go terribly, but then I can learn from it and do better next time. Then God can start using us today to love our city and make a difference in the lives of the people around us. And so today, or last week, we looked at God's love for cities. He loves cities because he loves people and he wants us to love cities because he loves the people in them. And, and today we're going to start looking more at this question of how do we do that? What does that look like on a practical basis to love our city? And to do that, we're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 29, and we're going to see that God calls us to seek the good of Hong Kong. God calls us to seek the good of Hong Kong. We'll look at a command, how to seek shalom, a warning, and a promise. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love people, that you love us. We thank you that you love cities because that's where people are. And we thank you for bringing each of us to this great city and giving us the opportunity to live here. And I pray that during our time together today, you'll give us clarity on how to love our city and how to be a blessing to the city where you have put us. God, show us how you intend for us to be a blessing here and let us obey you 
and be a blessing. In Jesus' name, amen. So first off, in today's passage, we have a command. But before we get to the command, I'm just going to give you a little background on what's happening in this passage so we're all clear on where we are in the story of the Bible. So way back in the start of the nation of Israel, God rescues them from slavery in Egypt. He brings them out into the promised land. And as they're coming into the promised land, he tells them, if you obey me and you worship me and you stay faithful to me, things are going to go really well for you. And if you disobey me and you don't listen to me and you follow other gods, things are going to go really badly for you. And several hundred years go by and again and again and again, the nation of Israel repeatedly disobeys God, worships other gods, does things that God hates. It's not good. And so over and over, God sends them these messengers called prophets to warn them, quit these things that you're doing that God hates, start worshiping and obeying him instead. And the nation again and again ignores the prophets, keeps doing what they want to do. And eventually the nation splits. There's a Northern kingdom called Israel, a Southern kingdom called Judah. And Israel gets carried off into exile by a foreign nation and Judah is left. And God is still sending messengers to Judah saying, quit it, get yourself in order. And one of those messengers that God sent to this nation of Judah was a man named Jeremiah. He went to the nation of Judah and he told them, turn from your evil or else God's going to send judgment on you. Specifically, that judgment is going to be this nation of Babylon is going to come in. They're going to conquer you. They're going to take you away into exile. It's going to be bad. And Jeremiah shared this message for years and years and years, and everyone ignored him. And then Babylon came and they conquered Jerusalem. They destroyed part of the temple and carried off all the gold and silver into Babylon so that they could have it. They took all the high ranking government officials, all the skilled laborers from the capital city of Jerusalem, and they carried them off as exiles into Babylon. And like these, these exiles, when they got to exile in Babylon, they were given a lot of freedom. They were more or less allowed to live life as normal. The best and brightest of them were given top of the line Babylonian education. Some of them were even given high ranking jobs in the government. They were given lots of freedom and opportunities, but there was one rule. That was the big rule that they had to follow while they were in exile. And the big rule was you can't go home. You can do whatever you want, live normal lives. As long as you stay in Babylon, you can't go back home. And the goal of their captors was that they would just assimilate into life in their new home, that they would take up spouses from their new land, that they would learn the religion of the new land, that they would marry in, and eventually they would just become part of this people. And so they made life as comfortable as possible for them so that they would want to just assimilate and, and fit in and become part of the group. But despite the fact that, that life was very comfortable for them there, relatively speaking, they still didn't want to be in exile, right? I mean, you're in a new land where they speak a different language that you have to adapt to. You're strangers. Your new neighbors are the ones who like killed your family and friends and destroyed your home and won't let you live there anymore. Even though they're making life as comfortable as possible, you don't want to be in that situation, right? 
Things are new, they're uncomfortable. There's probably some hatred in their hearts towards the people around them. And so at this moment, lots of false prophets stepped up and saw an opportunity to advance their careers. And they told these exiles, hold out. You're not gonna be here for too long. Just stick to yourselves, stay away from everyone around you. In two years, you're gonna go back home and everything will be like normal again. But that wasn't God's plan for what would happen with these exiles during their time in exile. And so God had Jeremiah the prophet send a letter through some messengers from Jerusalem where he was living to Babylon where they were in exile to tell them, here are God's plans for you and what he wants you to be doing while you're in exile. So that's where we are in today's passage. This is the letter that he has written to these exiles telling them, here's how God wants you to live as you are in exile. And the letter had God's commands for these people. But the first thing we see in the letter isn't a command, it's more of a fact. But this fact is essential as background for understanding the command. And the fact is, you're not in exile because God was too weak to rescue you. You are in exile because God sent you there because he has a plan for you there. God wanted his people to know you are not in exile because I am weak and powerless to rescue you. You are not in exile because I don't care about you and have forgotten about you. You are in exile because I have a plan for you. And my plan involves you being in exile. See, if you are one of the Israelites in exile, it would be really easy to wonder why you're in exile, right? If God really loves us and cares about us, like the Bible says he does, if God's really as big and strong and powerful as the Bible says he is, couldn't he have stopped them from taking over his promised land? Couldn't he have kept them out? If he let them here and, and now we're in exile, does that mean God's not really as big and strong as the Bible says? Does that mean God doesn't really care about us like the Bible says? Was God ever really there looking after his people like the Bible says? And God starts this letter with a resounding no to that way of thinking. Yes, from a human perspective, he says right here, you're in exile because Nebuchadnezzar has taken you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. But from God's perspective, he says you're in exile because I have sent you into exile. It's right there in verse four. And God sent them there because God has a plan for them there. And this is super important for us to recognize today as we talk about loving our city, because most people in this room weren't born in Hong Kong, right? Most people in this room moved to Hong Kong because you or someone in your family went to school here or got a job here. And let me ask you, are you here in Hong Kong because a school or a company brought you here? Or are you here in Hong Kong because God brought you here? Even if you were born in Hong Kong, are you here in Hong Kong because your parents just happened to be here when they had you? Or are you here in Hong Kong because God had a plan for you to be born and grow up and live here? And God is saying, according to this passage, the answer is yes. Yes, there were human forces at work in your life that led to you coming to Hong Kong at this time because you were born here or because of a job here or because of school here. But behind those human forces, 
the ultimate truth and reality is that God brought you here. And God brought you here because he has a job for you here. God brought you here so that you can love and serve the city. That's his plan for you in Hong Kong. However long you're here, that's his plan for you, for you to love and serve the city. And if you're not in Hong Kong forever and you move somewhere else, that's his plan for you there, whenever you end up wherever that might be, to love and serve the city. It's true for all of us, whether we were born here, whether we moved here from overseas, no matter what human circumstances led to you coming to Hong Kong, you are in Hong Kong because God brought you here. And God brought you here because he has a job for you to do here. And what is the job that God has for his people during their time in exile? He tells them in verses five and six, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. God's plan for his people is that they would live normal lives in this foreign city. That they would live normal lives in this foreign city. That they would settle down, that they would make it their home for however long God has them there. He wants them to tie themselves to the city financially by building homes there. He wants them to be multiplying resources and contributing to the city by gardening and not just being dead weight who eat everyone else's food and take resources from everyone around them. He wants them to contribute to the future of the city by bringing future generations into being. And notice these commands, they're going to take multiple decades to fulfill. You can plant a garden in a few months and have produce, but to have kids and then have them get married and have kids of their own, that's going to take decades of investment in the city. God wants his people investing in the city for the long haul. And this is true for all of us today in Hong Kong as well. I mean, maybe we can't afford to buy homes here because it's crazy expensive to buy a home here. But what does it look like for us to be financially invested in the city? God wants us to be financially invested in the city. I know that for most people in Hong Kong, gardening isn't really an option. I guess if you're down in Moi Wo, you can have a nice garden in your backyard. But if you're here in one of the towers in Tang Chung, that's not too much of an option. But how do we help contribute to multiplying resources in Hong Kong so that it's a better city for everyone around us. Maybe that's by doing things like educating young minds. Maybe that's cooking and preparing raw food into edible meals. Maybe that's making sure our airlines are properly staffed and scheduled. How do we contribute to making sure that our city has the resources it needs to continue and thrive? God wants his people to contribute to bringing future generations into the city. And on one level, that's true biologically, but in the context of the New Testament, we can also see that's true spiritually. If you're a Christian, God wants you spreading the message about Jesus so that after you're gone, there can be future generations of Christians in this city who can be his people and be a blessing to the people around them here. God wants his people to make this city our home for however long we're here, and to live in a way that embeds ourselves in the life of the city. But his plan doesn't stop there. In verse seven, he says, seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. This word translated as welfare here, it's the Hebrew word shalom. 
And shalom refers to this holistic well-being on every level possible. Uh, Pastor Tim Keller defines it this way. He says, shalom means complete reconciliation, a state of the fullest flourishing in every dimension, physical, emotional, social, and spiritual, because all relationships are right, perfect, and filled with joy. Shalom is when everything that can go right does go right on every level possible. And God is saying to his people here, I want you to do everything in your power to make the city better on every level possible because you live in it. That's his plan for his people in the city. I want you to get involved in infrastructure and finance and education and government and medicine and business and entertainment and family and more. And I want you from those places to make the city a better place to live, to seek the welfare of the city. And realize God did not do this because Babylon was a virtuous city or a deserving city or a good city. Like they had just destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. They were idolaters who led the, whose idolatry led them to do horrible things that God hated. In fact, if you read through the story of the Bible from beginning to end, Babylon is set up as the ultimate example of a city opposed to God, right? You go way back to the beginning, Genesis chapter 11. They have the Tower of Babel. That's the same city, Babylon, which is people trying to build a tower to God to establish a name for themselves. It's like in the book of Genesis, it's the ultimate example of human rebellion against God before God calls Abraham and starts his rescue plan for the world. And then if you fast forward all the way to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, what is the great city that opposes God and his plans for the world that sets up its own rulers to try and stop God in his tracks? It's Babylon. From the first pages of the Bible to the end, Babylon is always the enemy of God and his people and the work that he's trying to do in the world. It's like Star Wars, right? You know, in Star Wars, Palpatine's always the bad guy. Even in the new ones, Palpatine's always the bad guy. In the Bible, Babylon is always the bad guys. And yet, God says he wants his people to be a blessing to this city. He wants his people to bring shalom to this city, this comprehensive well-being to this wicked city. God wants his people to be a light, to show the beauty of his ways in the midst of this hostile enemy territory. Why? Because God loves cities. He doesn't just love the good cities. He doesn't just love the morally upright cities. He doesn't just love the cities that love him back. God loves cities because God loves people and cities are where people are. God loves Babylon. God loves Hong Kong because God loves Babylon. He wants his people to bring shalom there. Because God loves Hong Kong, he wants his people to bring shalom here. He doesn't want us to just go out and, and make our own little bubble that can be a sanctuary of shalom while the rest of the city burns. No, he wants us to go out and make the entire city a place of shalom and blessing for every single person that lives in it. God wants you and me to live on a mission in Hong Kong with the goal that Hong Kong will be a better place because he sent us here. Just like the Israelites in exile, he wants us to embed ourselves in the city during our time here. 
He wants us to recognize that if, if we live in the city, our well-being is tied to the well-being of the city. Didn't we all experience that during COVID? Like the, the economy crashes and all of a sudden my job's in danger. When the things go well in the city, things go well for us because we're part of the city. When things go poorly in the city, things go poorly for us because we're part of the city. That's what he means in verse seven when he says, in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Your good is connected to the good of the city because you live here. So do everything in your power to make this city a better place to live. And how do we do that? How do we seek shalom in the city? See, God wants us to seek shalom in the city, but what does that involve practically? Well, I think there's two steps. There's practical action and there's prayer. See, the, the Bible says in verse seven, to seek the welfare of the city. This word seek always involves practical action to try and do or try to find the thing that you're looking for. And so a great first step is just keeping our eyes open for the ways that our city falls short of its potential. Learn to, to seek, to look around you at what's happening. Look for the good, but recognize where are the ways that that good doesn't exist. And start to just have this attitude of curiosity. How could I be a part of helping? You know, are the schools underperforming? If so, how can we help improve the education system? Do you know people in Hong Kong who are isolated or ignored? If so, how can you help them connect with others? And this doesn't have to be like some big heroic thing, right? Like I was at a birthday party yesterday and I was talking with this guy and he was like, yeah, we just moved to Tong Chung a couple of months ago. I don't have any male friends in the neighborhood. Would you want to maybe go get drinks sometime? Yes. Yes, that's a great way to connect with new people and help people who are isolated get connected to community. Do you see businesses that are doing things illegally or immorally and are oppressing people through it? How can you help expose what they're doing and bring an end to it? The first step is just learning to look and be aware of what's going on around you. Next up, it means being part of the community. There's a pastor and professor named Philip Graham Riken, and he says this about being part of the community. When it comes to urban ministry, being there makes all the difference. An outsider can seldom know the needs of the community well enough to know how best to respond to them. Rarely, if ever, can an outsider effectively lead the community in finding solutions to its own problems. The kind of leadership that empowers people comes from insiders. Are you an insider in the community where you live? Do you know the people who live and work and play around you? Do you know them well enough to know their joys and their successes and their struggles and their hurts? Do you know them deeply enough that if they are struggling, they're willing to come to you to help as part of the solution to their problem. I mean, obviously we can't do that for everyone. That takes a high level of investment. There's a limited number of people each of us can do that for. But do you have anyone that you have that level of relationship with? Are you intentionally trying to connect with the community and, and build relationships with the people around you? Loving the city means being part of the community we live in. Third, it means adapting, adopting an attitude of hope rather than cynicism towards our city. Have any of you ever known someone during your time in Hong Kong who's like, oh man, Hong Kong people, they are so set in their ways. And those ways drive me nuts. I need to get out of here as fast as I can. Anyone ever met someone like that? 
I've had some friends like that. How about this one? Have you ever heard this one? You know, Hong Kong, it used to be a great, amazing city. It's changed. It's not that anymore. I don't see it ever going back to the way it used to be. I don't want to be here as part of its long-term future. Ever heard that one? Yeah. Have, have any of you not just heard this from others, but sort of felt this in yourselves? <laughs> when we look at a city like Hong Kong and we live day to day in the harsh realities of the, of the life here, it can be so easy to slip into cynicism and hopelessness about the city because we can see all the things that go wrong. We can see how hard change is. But if God sent us here on his mission to bring shalom and well-being to the city, that means there's hope for the city because God has messengers here on a mission to bring good and hope and joy to this city. And so living on God's mission for the city means living with his perspective on the city, living with hope for the city rather than cynicism towards the city. So how does knowing that God put you here for the good of the city help you to live with hope rather than cynicism towards Hong Kong? Next up, seeking shalom for the city means sharing the good news about Jesus. See, if you're here and you're not a Christian, God wants you to be involved in seeking the good of Hong Kong. He wants you to be a good neighbor and a good employee and a good parent and a good spouse. He wants you to invest in the city and make it better by you being here. But there's one reality that we just can't escape. If all our attempts to love and serve the city and all our attempts to make the city a better place focus only on this life right here, right now, then all our best efforts, they're going to fall short of bringing true shalom to the city because every single person we help is going to die someday and death has no place in shalom. See, yes, all the good things that we do for the city, they are good, they are important, but on their own, they're not enough because you can never have holistic, complete, lasting shalom without a hope beyond the grave. To have holistic, complete, lasting shalom, you need hope that lasts beyond even death. And so if you're not a Christian, by all means, do everything you can to seek the good of Hong Kong in the way that you live. But as you do that, examine the claims of Jesus. Look at what he says about himself, because he is the only one who can bring lasting shalom to our city. And if you are a Christian, do good things for Hong Kong. Even if it doesn't give you a chance explicitly each time to, to tell people directly about Jesus, do good things for the people of Hong Kong out of a desire to see the city be a better place. But remember, if we're only doing good things and never sharing about Jesus, the help that we bring is not gonna last. For true lasting shalom, we also need to share about Jesus because he's the only one who brings true lasting shalom to our city. And then fifth, seeking shalom means partnering with others, maybe even non-Christians, to do good for the city together that none of us can do on our own. See, like I just said, as Christians, we believe the, in the grand scheme of eternity, there's no true lasting shalom apart from Jesus. But we also recognize God works in people across the board, even in non-Christians, to bring blessings to our world, real blessings, even if not permanent ones. And when we see this happening, God wants us to gladly partner with people who believe differently than us to do things that will bring blessing to our city. 
So if you have some vision and dream and plan for how to bring affordable housing to more people in Hong Kong, and you get connected to a property developer who's like, I love that plan. I have the means and resources to make it happen. And they happen to not be a Christian. Don't be like, oh no, sorry, I can't work with you. You're not a Christian. Thank God that he's using this person to be a blessing to the city and get to work. Seeking the shalom of the city, it requires practical action, but it also requires prayer. That's what God says in verse seven right here. Pray to the Lord on the city's behalf. You know, if you've been listening to the sermon so far and you've been thinking of all the change that Hong Kong needs to be the city that it could be, it can be a bit overwhelming, huh? Like there's so much change that Hong Kong needs to be the city that it could be. I mean, forget all of Hong Kong, just Tung Chung. So much change is needed in our neighborhood to make it the neighborhood that it could be. There's far too much change needed for a group our size to make all that change in an entire lifetime. To make the impact on the city that God wants us to have, it takes resources we don't have, it takes connections we don't have, it takes ideas we don't have, which means if we want to see real lasting change in our city, if we want to be part of seeking shalom in the city, we need God to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. So prayer is essential for loving the city because without prayer, we lack the resources to bring the change needed. But prayer works on another level as well. See, for the Israelites in exile, it would have been so easy to just hate their neighbors. These are the ones who killed my family and friends, who destroyed my home, who are forcing me to live here in exile. And I think when we live in Hong Kong, it can be easy to get irritated and frustrated and bitter towards the people who live around us too. Like why will that freaking construction noise in the flat next door never stop? Anyone ever felt that? Yes. We've never even met the neighbor, but we hate them already. Why does my boss insist on me being on call at all hours, day and night, even on weekends? Why are people so racist against people who are different than them? It can be so easy to slip into anger and bitterness and hatred and frustration towards the city that God calls us to love. But when we're obeying God's command and we're praying for the city's good every single day, and it's really hard to stay bitter and angry and hateful towards people when you're praying for their good every single day. God uses our prayers for the city to transform our perspective towards the city so we can actually be his agents for real change in the city. God uses our prayers to change our hearts so we can be people who love the people around us. And from that perspective, we're actually able to seek the good of the city. God has a plan for you and me in Hong Kong to be his agents who bring shalom to the city. But the letter doesn't stop there. Next up, he has a warning. And the warning is in verses eight and nine. He says, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream for it's a lie that they're prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. Like I already mentioned, while they were in exile, these false prophets came up. They said, ignore God's commands, stay disconnected from the city. God's gonna judge them. He's gonna send you home in two years. Everything's gonna be fine and comfortable. And God says, don't listen to them, they're liars. Now, what does that have to do with us? Well, I think it's God's way of reminding us, don't let what you think is gonna be a short stay in Hong Kong keep you from investing in the city. I'm not saying God's gonna keep you for 70 years 
like he did for the Israelites in exile. But I've met lots of people in my time in Hong Kong who are like, I'm just here for a couple of years. I'm only going to be here for a few more months. And who use that as an excuse to keep from engaging with the city, to keep from seeking the good of the city. And for many of those people, they, they come here for just a year or two, and then they end up staying for decades. And they've missed out on golden opportunities to connect with and love the city because they didn't start right away. You know, I came to Hong Kong on a 14-month contract, and then I was going back to the States. That was 13 years ago. Plans can change. In the past few months, I've had conversations with multiple families where they said we were planning on moving out of Hong Kong this summer, and plans have changed, and we're here for at least another year. We don't know the future, but however long you're here, God wants you to use that time to bring shalom to the city. If you're waiting to invest in the city because I'm not going to be here that long, you're never going to get started with loving the city. But if you start now and plans change and you're stuck here longer than you planned, you've already got a head start on loving the city and connecting with the city and being a blessing. So start where you are, how you can, just seeking to connect with people around you and love the city and being a blessing to the city for however long God has you here whether that's a short time or a long time. God wants his followers in the city to love the city and to be a blessing to the city. And he gives us a promise at the end of the passage to encourage us to do that. So let's look at the promise. See, does anyone listening up to this point feel like, you know, this is a great ideal, but that's really hard to love the city in this way? That takes a lot of time and energy that I just don't feel like I have requires sacrifices that I don't really want to make? How do we get the strength and the energy to love the city in this way? Well, it requires a perspective beyond today. And we get that from the promises of God. See, God promises his people in this passage a future. In verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, shalom, and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. In the midst of their captivity, it was going to last for 70 years. In the midst of their suffering, God has a plan for his people's good. And what is that plan? Well, he tells us in verses 12 to 14, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. A couple of things to notice here. First, keeping your true home in view allows you to live well in exile. Keeping your true home in view allows you to live well in exile. God looks at his people in captivity and he promises at the end of your captivity, I'm going to send you home. And he expects that to motivate them to live well during their time in captivity. And in the same way, us having a focus on our true home will allow us to live well in Hong Kong today. But when I talk about our true home, for Christians, our true home, it's not America or Australia or Indonesia or the UK or India or Pakistan or anywhere else on this earth. It's being with God. See, when God promises to send the faithful ones back home, he's not promising, hey, if you do a good job in Hong Kong, if you do everything right, I'll let you get out of there. I'll let you be comfortable back in your home country someday. 
No, in 1 Peter 2, 11 through 12, it actually says no matter where Christians live, as long as we're living in this world, we are sojourners and exiles. If you're a Christian, no matter where you are in the world, you are in exile. No matter how at home you may feel in that place, this world is never your true home. But God has promised that if we trust in him, that one day we will live with him in a perfect city that this city will be filled with a shalom that he gives to undeserving people like you and me. And knowing that our future is in this city of perfect shalom that we don't deserve, but that's been given to us by God, it's meant to empower you and me to love the city where we live in exile today, whether that's Hong Kong or anywhere else on earth. Because the thing that makes that future city so great, it's not the city itself. It's actually the relationship we find there. That's why in this passage, before promising to return the exiles back home, God promises them a restored relationship with himself because God himself is the source of all true life and joy. To be in the most wonderful place possible, but separated from God is misery. To be in a horrible place, but with God is joy. And God wants his followers God wants you and me to be driven by this relationship with him and to let that give us strength as we seek to love our city. It's not that you and I just need to work up our strength and energy and willpower from within ourselves to to love Hong Kong or else God's coming for us. No, it's that if you're a Christian, you serve a God who came to you in your need, who made himself knowable at great cost to himself, who embedded himself in our world, who became part of the community, who died for us so that we can have a relationship with him and experience true shalom. We serve a God who sacrificed everything to give us a shalom that we did not deserve. And now he's inviting us to follow in his footsteps, footsteps that lead to joy by laying down our rights and sacrificing in order to bring shalom to our city as well. So knowing your true home and the God who makes it your true home and having that in view allows you to live well during your time in exile. So church, God has you and me here in Hong Kong right now to seek the shalom, the holistic well-being of this city. He has us here so that we can seek to make businesses and schools and families in every part of life better for the city because we're here. And that's a big calling but God went to great lengths to bring us to Shalom. And if we know the beautiful, amazing plans that he has for us, that's gonna give us strength and energy to pursue his calling with hope and joy today. So let's love Hong Kong this week. Let's love Hong Kong SpaceX style. Realize we're not gonna get it right every single time, but we're gonna try, we're gonna make mistakes, and we're gonna learn from those mistakes so that even our mistakes can be success and can be part of that pathway to bringing Shalom to our city. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a big God, a God who's in control, a God who has brought each of us here for your plan and your purpose, but that your plans and purposes for us and for our city are good. So I pray that you would use each of us this week to bring shalom to our city, to our workplaces, to our families, to our friends, to our schools, wherever you've put us. Help us to bring shalom and holistic well-being to this city because you have given us shalom through Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.